Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the TCL studios, it's Mackie and Judd. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studios. The football hours roll on. Uh, Zolgad, Manny Hill, Matthew Collar. I just saw Matthew Collar. A, uh, a breakdown on NFL Network in which they were ranking the quarterbacks for Week Eight. Care to guess who was number two on that entire list? Kirk number two, Cousins. Kirk Cousins. Wow. Number two. See, on- Collar, you're just so damn negative, I know. man. You're just I know. so negative. Did I? Uh, Why I- did you have to come here and give us a realistic analysis of things? <laughs> Why can't you just <laughs> blow smoke like everybody else likes to in this town? Did I tell you guys? You'll that, never be um, sin. So I was on a station in New Orleans, and the guy started the question about Kirk Cousins by saying, "You know what, man? I think he's an MVP candidate right now." And I and I did like a thing, like I, just like a natural. I went like, "Ah, like oh, like wow, like that's a that is a take, sir. You cover Drew Brees, which is what I think I said back into the phone. Just like Drew Brees plays for your team, the league leader in quarterback rating, who's just shredding everyone." Uh, I I think that the best way to put it on Cousins is that he's been everything you expected him to be. And what that means is he can put you in a position to play against Drew Brees and win. He can also put you in a position to lose to the Arizona Cardinals or New York Jets, potentially, if they take advantage of some of his mistakes. I mean, that that is his career. That's who he is. Tom Pelissero earlier talked about how like he, he's not different from what happened in Washington. It, 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 it's, it's the same guy that had some incredible games in Washington, some great wins in Washington. Last year, he went toe-to-toe with Drew Brees, lost in overtime, and, ha- and had a incredible game where they scored 31 points and they lost by three. And it was, that's very similar to what he did against the Rams. But then there were the other times where there's a throw behind the line of scrimmage. Okay. that's supposed to be, you know, him spiking the ball. So uh, I, I mean, I know that we focus so much on that one play, but it's not, it's not that either. That's entirely, it's some of the processing is slow. They've been poor in the red zone. Mm-hmm. They've been poor on third downs. Mm-hmm. They they've relied a ton on quick passes. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Sam talked about the conservative nature of some of the other quarterbacks, and he's right that the deep shots and the big time throws have absolutely been there from Kirk Cousins. But they have also relied a lot on quick throws. That he's one of the quickest for getting the ball out in the entire NFL, and it's in that way 
I think, stalled their offense at times that they haven't been able to work the ball into the intermediate areas, especially because of some offensive line issues. So, you know, I, I just think that it's all shades of Kirk Cousins, and what's hard to do with him is just pin him down with one label and say, like Breeze, like Hall of Famer, label, we're good. We don't. Oh, those top five. We don't need to say much more. Those top five guys. Blake Bortles, trash. Boom. I'm done. (laughs) I don't have to say much more. But the interesting thing here is this is the ride that the Vikings and their fans signed up for. They're getting the exact ride. They're getting. The roller coaster is not surprising here. And the the variables or the important things that go into this are very much still in play, which is this team's built on defense. So if your defense lets you down, you can't too often go to the well of offense bail us out. So Kirk Cousins is certainly not perfect. And this is why I don't consider him to consistently be a top 10 quarterback. He's certainly not top 5, but I don't ha- I don't have him. I have him just outside my top 10. Because the ride that you signed up for is what you're getting. Now, now I think where fans are frustrated with those of us who speak ill of Kirk is in the fact that he is an upgrade, I think, in all our opinions on Case Keenum. Mm -hmm. So he's doing, but Kirk Cousins is doing very much what we expected him to do because he was never signed by this team to single-handedly take you to a Super Bowl. What he was signed to do was be part of an equation that starts, by the way, with defense, not Mm -hmm. offense, that that is part of an equation that can get you that long-sought championship. And I think this is where the conversation gets difficult because sometimes we have people defaulting to, but, I mean, he's been so... No, the ride is exactly what we thought it would be. Well, I mean, isn't Cousins a great example of just how we talk about sports in, like, 2018 where I'm either supposed to tell you that Kirk Cousins is like the best man, and if you say anything against Kirk Cousins, that I'm going to come over there and fight you, and we're supposed to yell a lot louder than I'm talking right now, or I'm supposed to be like team not Cousins and just tell mm-hmm. you that he does everything really bad and that he's just not a winner or just make up some stuff uh, that's like overly critical, like people who say LeBron isn't that great. Like, nah, sorry. I mean, there's no objective way to look at it and say LeBron isn't great, but some people find a way. And with Cousins, because he is so complicated as a player, I mean, it's why Washington didn't want to stick with him. I think in part because he's hard to predict. If you told me, hey, you know what? Let's say that I uh, got sick, couldn't see the game. I was sleeping and I woke up and you called and I said, God, what happened in the game? And you said, well, he threw for six touchdowns and they scored 45 points. It was crazy. I'd be like, wow, I believe that. Or if you told me, yeah, he fumbled three times and threw a really weird pick and they like lost 21 to three, but he still threw for 300 yards. I'd say, oh, okay. And that's what makes it tough is that the ceiling on Cousins, the, the big time throws that he makes, the arm talent that he has, is the reason that you want him because you totally believe that he can beat Drew Brees toe to toe, that that's possible. Whereas Keenum, it took a miracle. And I think the thing, too, is with Case, when, when you look at him, the Vikings were exactly right. That was a one-year thing. That was a blip. And so to their credit, where, where I credit them, is they went out and signed probably the best available quarterback that they possibly could. But I just, I, I feel, uh, especially post-Rams game, because 
Kirk was so good in that game, Matthew. I feel like we also got on this whole thing of, well, Kirk can win games now because he put up tons of points, and the defense played horribly in that game. Well, that's really not true. Kirk can play very well, but ultimately, if your defense plays like it did against a team like the Rams, you got no chance. You've got no chance. The the only concern, and I brought this up with you on the podcast a couple weeks back, the only concern I have is let's cut out the mistakes that aren't necessary. Sorry, at I was all. pointing at a guy with a Christian Ponder jersey on Where? NFL Network. He's standing. They're in London, and he was standing oh, in the background. In London, he's got like a bunch it's of fans, on there. It's on. And there's a Christian Ponder. And what were they thinking with the yellow collar, like that goes around the, Vikings, in the jersey? What was that? The Vi- idea was that the Vikings in the '70s had some of the most glorious uniforms of all yes, time. Absolutely. And their experimentation into the 2000s with some of the dreadful looks that they tried to use, they altered it. So it wasn't a complete alteration. Purple was still the dominant color. It was awful. But it, my point being is that you need to still, if you're cousins, there are some things that you can clean up that can make everyone's mm-hmm. life easier. Yeah. And this is not an ultimate, like, bashing on him. And and I think it's very fair to continue to bring up the backwards passes because it's happened more than once. It's, it happened a couple of weeks ago in Philadelphia, and then it happened again, and again this, this past week. Like, And that is just, and I don't know if that has to do, if part of that has to do with just the play call, the play design or whatever, but like even in the last time it happened this past Sunday, it's like Cousins threw the ball into the ground. And and like it's that, not, like that that just can't happen. It's not the first brain meltdown that he's had the, even this year. I, I mean, look at the two or three different first halves. I think the first half in week one against San Francisco, where he throws a ball complete to Delvin Cook for like a seven yard loss. When that one, he should have spiked forward. Um, it's the one, forward, yes. the the backwards one you mentioned to uh, Rock Thomas is. I mean, maybe Thomas should catch it, but it's also like a bad throw, and and it doesn't. You know, maybe that's not how he how he should have done it, but. There's been other ones. There there have been clock management. They got a delay of game after spiking the ball to kill the clock, which you just never see. But that's what I'm saying. That, things but, like but that. But that can be cleaned yeah. up. That's not necessary. Well, I don't know about that. I, I, I don't know because really? it's gone on for his whole career. I don't know that you can clean up the fumbles, and I don't know if you can clean up the brain freezes. I think what you just have to hope is that you get such good performances otherwise, and you have these two great receivers, that you have so much success that when that stuff does pop up, you can make Can't up for it. Can't you eat the football, though? You know things are breaking down around you. Eat the football. Here's there's there's like three things that you can say all day you want to Kirk Cousins. Hey Kirk, how about instead of running back toward the end zone and almost taking a safety when there's pressure, you step up. How about when the Rams guy is beating your left tackle, you step up into the pocket. He doesn't do it though. It's just not going to happen. Kevin Stefanski could sit in a room and circle big spaces. Work with him. And it just—it doesn't work. That's not oh, how he is, plays NFL quarterback. And the same thing, he's not going to be able to see the pressure, and he's going to have moments in especially some of those situations with the clock and things like that where he makes mistakes. It's just that what he gives you and the reason you pay him so much is that he could put up 
astronomical numbers. He can make great, tremendous throws, and he's got the receivers to do it. So you almost just have to hold your breath in a game like this against New Orleans and say, I don't want to have to hold my breath. (laughs) I don't want to have to do that. This is professional football, damn it. But that's... That's it. Isn't it a lot like um, it's a lot like Matt Stafford in a lot of ways where yeah. Matt Stafford, I mean, he doesn't make the the brain meltdown plays, but he'll make these crazy risky throws because he believes too much in his arm. And, you know, so you, you just take some of that bad that goes along with the fact that he is a franchise quarterback. You know what really scares me about telling Kirk Cousins to eat the football, though? What? Because if he takes a sack, there's a risk that he's going to fumble. But th- no, he fumbles, though, because he holds it loose. Cradle it. Treat it like a precious. Treat it like your kid. Hold it close and just take the sack. I think since it's been happening since 2015, he leads the league since then. It's just. Oh, you got me. See, now you got me all wired up and now I'm negative. We're all negative. Hate you guys. (laughs) Speaking of negative, possibly a positive, if the 2009 Vikings uh, played the Saints in the NFC title game today, who would win? Sage Rosenfels has the answer to that very question, and that's coming up next. But first, it's time to talk to Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold, where you always... Okay, joined now by Sage Rosenfels, who you can, of course, hear on the Purple Podcast with Matthew Collar a couple times a week and with us each Friday here on Mackie and Judd. And I'm going to start you off with this, sir. How remarkable is what we are seeing uh, from Drew Brees at the age of 39, keeping in mind that you once watched a quarterback of about the same age have an MVP-like year? Well, when, when Brett Favre in 2009, uh, during that season, I believe he was 39, turning 40 or something like that, I and think, I was yes. 31 yeah. at the time, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, like in, in eight or nine years when I become, uh, you know, Brett's age, there's just no way that I'll be like physically able to do the things that he was doing. And you know, sure enough, I retired a couple of years later and now I'm 40 and I absolutely was right. So there's no way I could be doing uh, what, what Brett was doing or what Drew Brees uh, is currently doing. And I, I really do believe that the way, you know, sort of the sports have changed and with diets and the way guys take care of their, their bodies and the way they, the, the way they uh, lift differently, you know, before it was all about, you know, big, heavy weight and, and bench press and squatting and all these different things. Now they've really, really changed to a sort of a more, I guess, balanced workout. Uh, probably healthier for the body, healthier for the back and the knees. Uh, and guys like Drew Brees are going to play, I, I think, probably well into his 40s. Brett had the great arm to his last day playing, Sage. Drew obviously does not have the great arm. When you watch him play now, what does he do or accomplish against defenses that continues to make him so special then? Uh, anticipation. I, I think that's the best way to, you know, describe Drew as a sort of a decision maker. Is that he just knows how to uh, anticipate so well. Uh, you know, he knows what the defense is doing. His, his, his uh, wide receivers and tight ends and backs have always been very precise uh, in their route running and, and their play design. That's obviously a, uh, an attribute that uh, uh, Sean Payton, the head coach, has, has, you know, has been a great coordinator for a long time in that in that system that they run. So. He has got a great ability to, to anticipate, and on top of it, his accuracy. His accuracy is probably the best uh, there is in the, in the NFL, maybe in NFL history. What is he throwing for, like 75% or something this year, 77%? Uh, some crazy numbers that he's putting up You know, so far, no interceptions. So he has a great ability to anticipate. His accuracy is off the charts, and he rarely makes a bad decision. Sage, it's amazing, too, that when you look at Sean Payton and Drew Brees, you know, this is their 13th year together, and it's almost kind of like with the the way, the kind of relationship that Brady and Belichick have in that there's been 
so many different moving parts over the years, different, you know, different receivers, different running backs, different offensive linemen. But those two guys have remained the constant same thing. And it, and it really is a is a testament to how how good a coach Sean Payton is and, and obviously how great Breeze has been. Yeah, you do realize, uh, you know, as you watch the NFL as long as we all have, and, you know, these guys that are playing for almost 20 years now, uh, they go through these, like, waves of receiving cores, right? I mean, you remember Drew Brees at one point uh, was throwing guys like, you know, uh, Colston and, yeah. and uh, Robert Meacham, <laughs> right? That was like a wave that went for three or four or five years, put up a gazillion yards. And then, you know, and Aaron Rodgers is sort of doing the same thing uh, in Green Bay. Obviously, you know, Brady's done it over and over and over where, you know, it seems like you have, you know, three or four receivers. Uh, they have four or five really good years, and then over time they either get too old or they're expensive and they leave in free agency, and then they start almost training these young guys. Sometimes they're undrafted free agents they end up being really good players. You know, sometimes they're mid-round draft picks, and they almost train them uh, to become really uh, you know, top-notch wide receivers and, and run routes the way they like them, and, and, uh, and they spend a lot of time with those guys. I remember when I was at the Texans practicing – uh, we practiced against uh, uh, the Saints in the preseason. And I remember after practice, Drew had some of the old guys, but really a ton of these young guys, all these practice squad guys, uh, or guys that are just trying to make the roster. He had them running route after route after route uh, after practice. And he was you know, getting a lot of throws in. Uh, his starters were exhausted, and most of them were already uh, you know, gone inside. But these young guys, they're willing to put as much work as possible to try to get uh, you know that extra work with Breeze. And, and, and over time, those guys end up being you know, sometimes the fourth or fifth wide receiver, sometimes even the second or third wide receiver. And you, as I said, you almost train them to become really good players. And you see with all these great quarterbacks who are now playing for 15 to 20 years. And so, Sage, the story was what? Drew was going to be uh, traded by the Chargers, if I recall correctly, and made his first trip to the Dolphins, right? And the Dolphins either... Uh, Nick Saban was not impressed or he didn't pass his uh, physical down there coming back from the neck problem and they traded for Culpepper instead but long story short this could have been a very very different story here if Drew Brees had ended up with the Dolphins and seemingly had the same type of uh, career that he has had subsequently with the Saints yeah you know probably Alabama has uh, been rewarded by the doctors of the Miami Dolphins making a terrible decision on Drew Brees' shoulder so yeah. yeah if you go back I said Drew Brees and I came out the same year, 2001. Uh, you go back, I, I believe it was his third year. They had about a 4-12 and record uh, uh, in, in San Diego, and they end up drafting Phillip Rivers. Uh, you know, he sat behind Brees for a year or two. I can't remember if it was one or two years. And then Brees, the last game of the year, uh, they were going to go 9-7, and seven, and, uh, and, and he hurt his shoulder. He dove on a fumble in, in a wet game that meant nothing, uh, I believe, against the Denver Broncos. Dove to, to recover a fumble. Guy bounced right on his, uh, pounced right on his shoulder, uh, dislocated it, tore everything in it. Uh, you know, going into free agency. I mean, what a terrible situation. Mm. And, uh, and and they go down to Miami. Uh, the Dolphins had they already had agreed to a contract. Everything was good. Uh, and the one of the Dolphins doctors, the, the orthopedic, actually sort of flunked him on his physical, uh, and they decided to move away from him. That the organization did not want to take that risk to to a guy who who hadn't sort of shown that he could throw a football yet. I mean, it was early on, you know, in that process. Only a couple months after that 
a terrible shoulder injury and and instead they went to Dante Culpepper who was coming off a knee injury but they thought you know quarterbacks can come back from knee injuries not shoulder injuries and, and obviously that was a huge huge mistake and now Alabama has like 13 national championships. I hope that doctor was dismissed at some point soon thereafter <laughs> when it became clear that Dante Culpepper was not even going to come close to being the answer for the Miami Dolphins Sage. Well, he may have, or, or Nick Saban just got the heck out of there, which is basically what happened. He Absolutely. Was like, I'm, I'm done with this. I don't have a quarterback. <laughs> he can't win the NFL without a quarterback, and, and he thought he had the right one. The, the doctor, the, the only thing that he could not control was the team doctor in that franchise, and that's the one who probably screwed him the most. Sage, when you were in Miami, did you play under Saban at Miami? I did, yeah, 2005. So I was a uh, well, year in Washington with Marty Schottenheimer, and then uh, four years in Miami. And the first three years was Dave Wanstead, North Turner, uh, as my offensive coordinator, and then my uh, my fourth year in Miami, Wanstead had gotten fired, and they brought in Nick Saban, Jason Garrett, my quarterback coach, Scott Linehan, uh, my offensive coordinator. So yeah, in the next year is when uh, is when you know Breeze should have come to Miami, but didn't. So you know we're we're talking about it here. You should hear Miami Miami Dolphins fans you know, talk about that mistake. The one, one of the franchises that has been tortured uh, by below average quarterback play since you know the great Dan Reno retired there in the late 90s so when you played for Nick Saban in that one year did you get the sense that this NFL thing was gonna work out for him I mean obviously you can be honest about it now because he's moved on to Alabama and had great success success there but did you did you ever get the sense that he was going to be an NFL guy or did, did he kind of give off the impression that yeah he's probably better suited for college no, I think that he really wanted to be an NFL guy, and I think that he wanted to have success. And in and, and that first year, we started off the year three and seven, uh, end up winning our, our last, maybe even two and seven. I think we won our last like seven games of the season, and uh, and ended the year nine and seven. And I'm thinking, and I was a free agent at that time, and, and decided to leave and go to Houston. And I'm thinking to myself, they're probably going to get Breeze in free agency. And, 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 and I think Saban's going to be a very successful head coach. I don't know if he's going to win a whole bunch of Super Bowls, but you know, I really thought that he had sort of uh, did what he wanted to do in college football, proved all he wanted to prove by winning the national championship at LSU, uh, and now he wanted to you know, you know, sort of uh, uh, accomplish something at a higher level. And I also knew that he probably had this almost rivalry uh, with Bill Belichick, even though they're old friends. Sometimes you want to accomplish more than your friends. And so, yeah, I thought that was going to happen. I I was sort of a little surprised he went immediately back to college after that, you know, 2000 and I believe six season. Then up being a disaster for him. I think they went six and ten. Uh, but you know, but looking back, it's pretty obvious he's he's very much suited for that college game. He understands the recruiting aspect of it. Uh, you sort of, he he sort of gets the whole thing. You know, you have an automatic advantage in college when you're one of one of these you know blue chip you know type of schools where you know those top ten schools or so you have you know you have more money. Uh, you, your fan base is bigger. Uh, you have just a, a, you know the history and the ability to recruit better players. You're automatically advantage uh, before the game even starts. That doesn't really happen in the NFL very much. Basically, unless you have you know, a, you know Aaron Rodgers or maybe even a Tom Brady or, or, or Drew Brees, where you have this little advantage on the other team. But for the most part, everything else sort of balances itself out. Sage, where does the end of the uh, Viking Saints playoff game here last year rank among things that that you've seen uh, in football? <laughs> um. That might be the might be the wildest finish. You know, I think that championship game, the the Bounty Gate game, was it wasn't really wild. It was just sort of an epic, uh, epically uh, um, uh, unforgettable atmosphere. 
Uh, that thing at the end of the game was just unbelievable. It, it was a great game going into it, by the way. It was just an all-around, you know, the, the Vikings had that nice lead, and, and the Saints just kept coming back, from what I recall. And, and I, I, I was standing next to Peter King during that, and, and we looked at each other like, holy cow, I can't believe that happened. So, yeah, that was a that was a very wild finish, maybe the – the the, the 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 wildest finish that I've ever seen in an NFL game live, you know, being in the stadium. Uh, I was really happy that after the game, I didn't go to the Vikings locker room. I knew what that would be like. That'd be a lot of celebrations and high fives and, and hugs and whatever. I went to the Saints locker room. I wanted to see if it was as depressing as our locker room was in 2009. And, and I, to be honest with you, I don't think it was. I think it's because they have a lot of young guys on that Saints roster where that Vikings roster had a bunch of older guys, you know, guys like Steve Hutchinson and Favre and, yep. and even Jared Allen was over Kevin Williams. Uh, we knew that was probably it. That was our big, that was our one shot. And, uh, and we failed where that, I think that, that Saints team from last year, yeah, it was a really tough, depressing loss, but a lot of young guys who believe, and they probably are right, they'll, they'll get back to that NFC championship. They'll get back to that, uh, you know, deep in the playoff situation or even the Super Bowl at some point in their careers. So you went to the Saints locker room? That is, Sage, I'm proud of you. That's awesome. I mean, that's a great idea because you're right. We've seen, we've seen guys hugging, right? We've seen that before. I, I think that's, if I could have picked, I would have done the exact same thing because it's so interesting to see how human beings process something like that. Yeah, and, and I guess, again, for me, I, I think some of it had to do with you know, sort of going back and, and just knowing, and I vividly remember the locker room uh, in that that NFC Championship game. I remember sitting there. I remember guys walking in, uh, the, the Wilts, uh, you know, people walking up to Favre, who was all beat up and battered. You know, Rick Spielman walking to him, giving him hugs, you know, telling him how much a warrior that he was. I remember all that stuff very vividly. And and when I went to that New Orleans locker room, I wanted to sort of see, you know, what was the vibe in there and uh, and, and how it was. And it, believe me, it wasn't as it didn't feel as catastrophic uh, as, and, and devastating as, as, as ours was. I, I think for Breeze it was, uh, who you know was handling it really, really well. Uh, but I think for the rest of the guys, uh, didn't have that you know super depressing feel that ours had in 2009. So Sage, do you think going into this game on Sunday night, do you think the Saints are having you know the you know because people look at this, oh, it's a revenge game, and they're thinking you know they want to. They want to win this game because of what happened last year. I'm not sure I'm really buying that. I think the Saints are looking at this game as a, a, a tough opponent against a good Vikings team. And, you know, and the Saints are trying to get home field advantage. And, and, and obviously the Vikings are trying to, you know, maintain control of this division. So I don't know if either team is really looking at this as, you know, well, the Saints are looking for revenge and the Vikings are looking to to show that their, you know, that last year's win wasn't a fluke or something like that. I don't know if I don't know if the team or the players are really buying into that theory. Yeah, I'm not a big, you know, uh, I don't think players, you know, think of revenge all that much when they're trying to play football. There, there's so much, uh, you know, there's so many aspects and things to be motivated about. Uh, you know, there, there's plenty that New Orleans. There's plenty of reasons New Orleans wants to win this game. There's plenty of reasons the Vikings want to win this game. Uh, you know, New Orleans has to keep up with the Rams, who look like they might win 14 or 15 games this year, and the Vikings are trying to, uh, you know, stay, stay uh, in the lead in the NFC North. I mean, this is a huge football game. Plus, it's on national television. I mean, you take two crappy teams, <laughs> put them on national television on Sunday Night Football. The players know that you know that the, the number of fans that are watching is like. 
four times a regular NFL game. So believe me, they are very motivated to go out there and put on a great performance. A lot of times a great performance, even if you're like an average player on a Sunday night or a Monday night game, many times that turned into a bigger contract a year or two later just because people remember, oh, that guy had 10 catches uh, in that Sunday night game, even though he only had seven on the year so far. No one really uh, everyone remembers the 10 catches. And so I, I, I remember I was told that young in my career, players always just play a little bit uh, harder and, and, and try to have those bigger games in those spotlight games because they know the whole the whole country is really watching. In that 2009 NFC title game, Sage, did it occur to you at any point during the course of that game that something was odd and that the Saints were taking uh, potential runs at Brett and Vikings players that went beyond the norm? Yeah, well, I think the first play of the game we had like a handoff or, or reverse or something, and and uh, a defensive end came right up to uh, to Brett and you know, you know gave him a shot right in the face. I mean, I think when Brett went down, I mean, really a sort of a shot to the chops, and and uh, it was like the first play of the game. So yeah, I, I think fairly early on, uh, I don't, I can't say that we we knew he was trying to they were trying to hurt him. Uh, but we knew they were trying to beat the crap out of them, and I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's a difference in, in those two uh, you know, phrases, but yeah, it was pretty obvious. They were trying to be extra physical with Favre, probably hoping uh, he would finish that game. The high-low hit, to me, was odd, too, because that was absolutely brutal. If you recall that high, yeah, there was tons high low of them. hit. I mean, yeah. I, I want, it's funny to me now, what is it? It's been nine years or something. Yep. Uh, if you took these officials and the way the rules are now, and you went to... <laughs> Uh, Dean Blandino or one of these guys, and he said, let's go back and watch that game. How many personal foul penalties would you call on the Saints, you know, based off of how the rules are today? Yep. I'm going to go ahead and say at least 10 in that game mm-hmm. would have been personal foul penalties based off today's rules. I don't mean to r- ruin your day by saying this, but I think if you took the interpretation of the 2018 rules back to that game, Sage, you guys win the game. <laughs> I really do. Um, you'll probably, I tell you, our defense played great that game. I think we almost doubled them uh, in yardage. We had about 500 yards of offense, and they had like 280 or something. Yep. Uh, but, you know, we fumbled near the goal line, uh, and, uh, you know, we, we turned the ball over a couple times in, in bad situations. Far played unbelievable. I had never seen a player, uh, you know, play that well, get that beat up uh, in that type of scenario. He made some unbelievable throws, and, and I would say everyone just remembers that one at the end. But, you know, before that, he played – you know, 59 and a half minutes of unbelievable football. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the time. Talk Thanks, to you Sage. next week. Thanks, Sage. All right. All right, Sounds bye. Good. Sage Rosenfels joins us uh, each Friday, and don't forget you can also hear him with Matthew Collar on the Purple Podcast a couple times a week. We'll take a break, come back with more on Mackie and Judd after this. Awesome. Oh, yeah. I thought he was a really bad guy, it turned out, though. Oh, no? I don't know. Really? Well, I thought he turned out, I thought he did something that he was fed turned out to be a, a bad guy. Oh. I, I, I like him as far as, as his work goes. I'm fine with them. Anyway, okay, go ahead. So we all, I think me, you, and Phil, and Collar, I, I don't know if you had this in your bracket too, but we all had the love boat making the... Uh, yeah, Matthew did. Right? That, was, that was my winner. Yeah, yeah me too. it was my winner too. Well, the love boat is out. Oh my gosh. It has been bounced by uh, David Kahn taking Johnny Flynn over Steph Curry. Wow. Really? Wow. Yeah. The love Upset boat. Upset of the tournament, man. The love boat to me is the encapsulation of complete and utter dysfunction. Okay, who was the team that no one ever heard of last year in the tournament that pulled off the huge upset? It was like really Oh, the big. Virginia, right? Uh, the 16 seed. Maryland, uh, Baltimore County or something? Yeah. UMBC. Yeah. yeah. Okay, it's it's that it's that big for Love Boat to lose here. I mean, Love Boat is one of to me, the most embarrassing things to ever happen in a franchise. One of the most hilarious, <laughs> random, 
I, and to lose to just bad draft picks, it's like, okay, I get it that, yes, I would have drafted Steph Curry because I thought he was really good. And I also saw Johnny Flynn play a lot and did not think he was very good. But <laughs> you, should but, call, you should have called David Kahn. I know, but, dra- but draft randomness. I mean, look at Antetokounmpo. What was he, Manny? 15th overall? One 19th? pick after Shabazz uh, Muhammad, in fact. Okay. Of course. How did I know? Uh, but but what was he, like 19th or 15th or 15th. something? 15th. Okay. went 14. So and, yep. This is a guy that's like LeBron, the next LeBron coming in. And 14 picks were made without taking Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah. And well, Kawhi so, Leonard, same thing. Kawhi Leonard was like the 15th pick. Th- these things happen. Yeah. And we can always look back and go, okay, well, you should have taken Michael Thomas instead of Laquan Treadwell. But when you go through what they did in college and what they looked like in the draft, you could understand how a mistake was made there. And I think the same thing. You could understand that Johnny Flynn was just this really explosive player with this great energy and athleticism through the roof. And Steph Curry, all the all the scouting what you're reports saying, saying he was soft and small and he couldn't he, he was like a tweener. The love boat was not a mistake. Right. The it love, was an right. orchestrated yes. sex yes. party. Right. It they, was it defines dysfunction. They were flying in yeah. women. What? What? As Burke said, what's like, wrong with our strippers? Right, right. <laughs> Why you got to go to Atlanta? I mean, that that to me is uh, something. The fact that it got out and became very, oh, very it got public, out all right, very public. It was and, out all um, over the place in front just, of those poor high school kids who were yeah. that. That was that was by the way the flaw. The flaw was not the sex party. The flaw was that they allowed the Allen Almas crew, which was basically, I believe. Minnetonka high school kids <laughs> to still work the boats. Oh my God. If you're going to import the strippers, import the help. <laughs> my buddy and I from the Star Tribune actually one night drove out to some poor kid's house in Excelsior because oh no. we had identified a member of the crew. Oh no. Her old her old man answers the door and we're and and my friends like yeah I'm I'm with the Star Tribune and I'm standing there and all of a sudden through the bay window I see the kid the girl come down and she comes down and I've never seen this before she could have she must have been 18 or or 17 she steps in front of her old man so her dad's at the door right yeah. he's got this I mean we're not going to do something wrong we're just trying to talk to her to find out what she saw or didn't see and she she said we're not answering any questions wham wow and dad like backed off wow so anyway that was the flaw the flaw you, was what were you going to ask her the, <laughs> we were going to we were going to ask her anything that she had seen that would have been considered that would have been considered disorderly conduct by your local friendly football team. Oh my goodness! Tell us what you saw Fred Smoot do. Uh, no, it was Bryant McKinney, I think, who was oh. the who was the main oh, offender. Fred, as, Brian McKinney was yeah. As much as Smoot wants a claim credit now, I think it was Big Mac who had the most fun on that boat. That, yeah, that's the, that's, the putting, people, that's putting it lightly. The people are wrong. I'm sorry, the people, the voters. <laughs> this is, yeah. They are wrong. Draft bad drafting. And voters are happens. never wrong, Matthew. Bad drafting happens to the Patriots. Voters are never wrong. We know that. Bad drafting happens to the Spurs. Everyone has had bad drafting. Yeah. Not everyone has had a sex boat. So who's left now? Okay, so what's left? <laughs> so the uh, so David Kahn, Johnny Flynn, Steph Curry has moved on into the uh, to the final four. And uh, also moving on, the uh, Gary Anderson missed field goal was going up against uh, the Gopher basketball academic scandal. That was a pretty lopsided victory for Gary Anderson's missed field goal. 
Um, so uh, Gary Anderson's missed field goal will be matched up against, this is kind of a heavyweight matchup, as uh, it will be matched up against Blair Walsh's missed field goal, who has, uh, which eliminated the, bilateral leg weakness. Wow. Oh. So the field All goal, right. the two missed, the two epic Vikings missed field goals will go head to head in the I, final four. I, I think it's easy. I think it's easily Gary Anderson. The stage, the fact that he missed none, like you knew Blair Walsh was a head case, and it was zero degrees. That's true. I'm not saying that it's forgivable because I still think Judd could make that field goal. But no, you're wrong. But Absolutely if we gave you a T, no, uh, stop. But, but you're talking about a guy who made every field goal, and Pat Summerall said something like he's made every field goal, and then Madden goes, "Oh yeah, so you know he's going to make this one." <laughs> And the kick is no good. Oh man, I, so, that that to me is uh, that should be a landslide. What was the other one? Uh, we we have one more matchup to determine. Uh, so three of the four final four have been determined. Uh, the two field goals, and then David Kahn, um, and then uh, we're just waiting on the Joe Smith contract versus Brett Favre's interception against the Saints. Oh. There's still four hours left of voting. I want the love one. vote back. I mean, you know what? Let's declare the voters wrong and just put the damn thing back. <laughs> I, I go Favre on that one. I go Favre pick. All right, we'll come back, wrap with Royce to wrap up today's program. Mackie and Judd are back. You're about to make a whole lot of people around here real happy. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on 1500 ESPN. All right, quick check on your traffic before we wrap with Royce. Uh, just one crash to tell you about right now. 394 eastbound, we got a crash in Golden Valley. Uh, adding about an extra 11 minutes to your commute. That's uh, near Highway 100, so be on the lookout for that. All right, wrapping things up here. Uh, TCL Broadcast Studios wrapping with Patrick Royce. All right, what do you have for Collar? Collar? Yeah. I got uh, some advice for you after listening to you at 4 o'clock. Okay. You got an ad- you got to adopt a nice 5-year-old young girl who hates football. Who has already has learned to hate football? We got to get something else in your life here. We we we, we got to we got to get something to occupy you outside of uh, tapes of football, uh, thirty nine plays by Henry Hill or whatever. <laughs> you need something in your life, man. Right, so Henry you know, Hill, the guy from Goodfellas. That's what we're looking for. Is, Start drinking heavily. Do something, <laughs> you know. Gin. Did you ever try gin? That's uh, good. It's really tasty. Angry no, gin. No. I, let me recommend it highly. It's, uh, you know, I. It was so good I had to give it up. You but, gotta. Uh, you gotta recommend um... it. You gotta have a straight mind when you're breaking down tape. You know what I? You know what I did, uh, Patrick, last night to unwind was I watched the A Football Life of Dexter Manley. So that was like oh, at two o'clock in the morning. That was good. So that's he was an interesting character. Is he still with us? Uh yeah, yeah. No, the, okay. the A Football Life was recent, and he had gone to prison a few times and uh-huh. he had drug issues, and then he has kind of worked his way through that. So it's it was actually a happy ending for Dexter Manley. So that's hell of a hell of a football. Player. Player on those twenty minutes where he wasn't suspended all the time. He was uh, man. He was a good football player. So oh, that's good. Anyway, you need help. Man. Well, well, you need help. We're uh, well. You didn't like when I was talking about Zach Line, the fullback motioning out. Yes, to yeah, yeah, that's a... right. I did like that play. I, uh, I I do like that play. I actually do like Peyton. I, I know I dislike him intensely if I had to cover him, but uh, he's. Uh, I, I I think he's what the NFL needs. Uh, just uh high energy high mouth uh, type of crazy guy who you know 
who uh, makes it some fun, man. So what I, do you? What, I, I like Peyton. What do you think of this game, Patrick? I somehow like the bikes at home, uh, but uh, I think you made a good point when you're babbling that uh, <laughs> they will be able. <laughs> they will be able to move the ball uh, against these guys because they, you know, last year sort of their improvement was based on uh, a much improved defense. But as you point out, Latimer isn't around anymore, and they're uh, they're uh, they're easy to move on. Even some remember how they started the season, and this was going to be the great disaster of all time, and they were going to lose to Cleveland at home and be zero and two, with two horrible losses at home. They came back and beat them, and they haven't lost since, right? Yeah, yeah. No, and then uh, and then last week they pull a big comeback against the Ravens, which is not easy. They got yeah. a little help from the kicker, but I mean, it, to me, it's there are two teams that are far and away the best in the NFC, and there's another team that's knocking on the door, and that team is the Vikings. And if they win this game, then they're in that conversation, and it's a three man race. And if they don't, then it's still a two man race, and everybody else is trying to be like the Rams and Saints. I really do think the Saints are a cut below the Rams, though. Uh, don't you? I mean, they yeah. don't have Aaron Donald for one thing. That makes a little bit of difference. So, oh yeah, you I know mean, who's uh, a fraud, by the way. Who's that? Watching the Rams, Sue. He's a fraud. He gets to play with the best tackle that's ever breathed, getting triple teamed, and he still makes about two plays a week. Okay, I, I understand that take. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't agree with it. He's I shaking mean, his I head here. He just watch the film. I, I don't. I don't agree fraud. with that take. I think Sue. I don't. I don't think he's a fraud. I don't think he's as good as Aaron Donald, but I don't think he's a fraud. I think he was actually good Couldn't in start Miami. For the Vikings. Uh yeah, that's actually true because <laughs> they have Sheldon Richardson and Limbaugh Joseph. Although this week maybe because Joseph is dinged up. Okay, John, are you going to the uh, Gopher football game? Yes, I am. I was. You go- better hurry. You got a mile to go, man. That traffic's gonna be. Fantastic. All all I know is that <laughs> my be, friend. It's gonna be. Yeah, you know, there's they're sending out warnings right now to stay away from there. They're expecting as many as eighteen thousand people there for a big. <laughs> all I know, Patrick, is our friend Babu. Whined and complained so much that they let her into the lap before four o'clock for tailgating. Yes. And I bet she's the only one there, sitting there. Even her buddies didn't show up. So uh, I got I got a text uh, b- about a half hour back from somebody I know very well, informing me she was in an Uber headed down to the parking lot. <laughs> so she hadn't gotten there yet. No, at four o'clock. No. After all her complaining, she oh, wasn't there yet. Babu was there. Dawn wasn't yet. She had, oh, no, no. She didn't go. Okay. She didn't care about the four o'clock time. Oh, okay. We just had a lot of outrage from the people that like to be very drunk by 5 o'clock that they couldn't be there at 4 o'clock. I think the Gophers win tonight, but I think it's a disgrace that they're underdogs at home to Indiana. You cannot be an underdog at home to Indiana in football. It's impossible. Don't forget, my partner said eight-year plan for P.J. Fleck, okay? We got him up to eight now? I texted you that two days ago. Yeah, he said eight-year plan. It's an eight-year plan. Okay. Well, I uh, I uh, I got some uh, encouraging news on him the other day from a guy who used to work for him. Says he's a complete moron. So we'll see. Not Mackie, by the way, uh, Phil. The other Phil. <laughs> Philip Fleck. I got gotcha. you, Philip John. Fleck, not Phil Mackie. They're uh-huh. a lot alike, though. Both very short. Not much hair. So. <laughs>
Well, if he wasn't my supervisor these days, I might pile on. But, uh, you know, I'm a big Phil Mackey fan, Patrick. I am a big Phil Mackey fan, too. But that doesn't change the fact he's bald and short. And with that, I'll talk to you on Monday. Have a good weekend, Pat. Bye. See ya. Football. We're done. See you guys later. We'll talk to you all at uh, 3 o'clock on Monday.